We're in part six of running with the giants. Not sure if it's part six or lap six, but uh, we're running our race here. Let's read our theme verse. It's Hebrews 12:1. Read it out loud together. It says, "Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles." And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Uh, The Bible says that we have this great cloud, great crowd of witnesses. uh, Famous characters of the faith that we find in the Bible and even our friends and loved ones who have died and gone on to heaven. Uh, They're up in heaven watching us run our race. And I just want to clarify this a little bit for you. These folks are not spying on us. Uh, They are not judging us. They're cheering us. They're cheering for, pulling for us. They are on our side. They've run their race. Now they're watching us run ours. And these people in heaven, uh, as they watch us, they're not watching us with an earthly mindset. Uh, They're watching us with a, a heavenly mindset. I mean, they fully understand the brokenness of the world that we live in. They fully understand our struggle with sin. They know how hard the race is. They get the struggle that we face. So as they watch us run, their viewpoint now is not the same as when they were here on earth. Because their minds have been enlightened, their eyes have been opened because of their exposure to Jesus Christ in heaven. And so whatever they see you doing now, they get it. They understand it. The idea is not that they're watching us in judgment. They're not wagging their fingers or shaking their heads at us when we stumble and fall. No, no. My loved ones aren't the ones who are going to judge how I run the race. I don't run the race to please them. I run the race to please Jesus because he's the one who's going to judge it. But these witnesses, this this crowd, they're just cheering us on. They want us to run the race in such a way that we win, that we please Christ. And our response to the fact that there's this great cloud of witnesses is that we're supposed to set off Uh, our burdens, set off our sins, the things that entangle us, so we can persevere to the end of the race. And so the concept is to be an encouraging one, not a discouraging one. And so in this series, we're looking for a word of encouragement that these witnesses would say to us if they could step out of the stands and run a lap with us. And today, we have coming out of the stands to encourage us, Joseph. Joseph is the 11th born son of Jacob. There were 12 tribes of Jacob that made up uh, the nation of Israel, and Joseph is number 11. He's the great-grandson of Abraham. He's a major, major character in the Bible. Almost half the book of Genesis is dedicated to Joseph's life story. And if you know much about the story of Joseph, then you know that Joseph's father, Jacob, uh, showed Joseph preferential treatment. He really was his favorite son. In fact, so much so that Jacob had a special coat, the Bible calls it a coat of many colors, that he gave Joseph uh, to wear. And the gift of this coat uh, to Joseph by his father Jacob, it wounded the other brothers. I mean, it drove a wedge, a deep wedge of sibling rivalry uh, between them. Then Joseph, at the age of 17, received a dream from God that indicated that God thought Joseph was special as well. And that God was going to bless Joseph so much so that Joseph one day would rule over his brothers. 
But the dream that God gave Joseph was not fulfilled for another 23 years. And those intervening years were very difficult years for Joseph. And so this message is for those people whose lives aren't going according to plan. Uh, This message is for everybody who is ready to give up on the dream. If you're here today and you are ready emotionally, spiritually, uh, physically, relationally, if you're ready to give up, Joseph today steps out of the stands. And for when life isn't turning out the way you planned, Joseph would come alongside you and say, don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on your dreams. Now, all of us have days, maybe even seasons, where you feel like giving up. And maybe you're here today and you're in one of those seasons. And I just, it's my prayer that this message will be a real help to you. And maybe you're here today and things are going great. I want to encourage you to take notes because things don't always go great. And your moment's coming, and I want you to be prepared. That's the point of this message. So take good notes today as Joseph comes out of the stands and and offers you a a word of encouragement. Genesis tells us that Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So the brothers didn't just hate Joseph because of the dream. They'd been hating on him even before that. It's just that the dream pushed him over the edge. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. And frankly, I'll just tell you, it was unwise of Joseph to share this dream with his brothers. I mean, he brought some of their anger on himself because he couldn't keep his mouth shut. And I, I, I teach leadership training for pastors, and one of the principles that I teach is, is as a leader, you must protect the dream. You must protect the vision. When you come up with a dream or vision or idea or God puts something into your mind, you don't immediately trot it out and share it with people. Because as soon as you bring it out, they're going to attack it. There's just something negative in us as human beings that when a new idea emerges, we think it's our job to kill it. Kill it. And so you trot the dream out before it's had time to mature in your heart and in your mind. The dream killers will attack. And you've experienced that. You all have. Maybe at work or even within the family, you get an idea and then you share it with other people too soon. And the negative forces just overcome it and kill it before it has a chance to take root and flourish. So you've got to learn to hold on to the dream. You've got to learn to protect the vision until it's the right time to roll it out. That's one of the things that we learned from Joseph, and we learned from Joseph because he didn't do it. He, instead, he woke up, walked out, and told his brothers the dream. He says, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, which is surprising because Joseph never worked a day in his life, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. I mean, Seriously? You know, I mean, how do you think that made the brothers feel? You know, oh, Joseph, we can't wait to bow down to you. I mean, did this endear him to them? No, no. It fueled their jealousy toward Joseph at this point, and they began to conspire to get rid of him permanently. So one day, Joseph comes walking out to the field. Notice he comes walking out where they're working. And here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. And throw him into one of these cisterns. It's just a dry pit. 
and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Joseph actually had a dream that was from God. The dream was real. But as soon as Joseph shares the dream, his life takes a turn as far away from fulfillment of the dream as you can imagine. And some of you have had your life take a turn away from your dream. And you showed up here at church this weekend and you're ready to give up. Give up on the dream. I'm never going to get that job. I'm never going to make this marriage work. I'm never going to get over this illness. I'm never going to kick this bad habit. I'm never going to fulfill my dream. And today, Joseph would step out of that great cloud of witnesses. And he'd tell you, don't give up on your dream. Don't give up on your dream. Number one, even if you didn't start off well. And a lot of us have stories that didn't start off so well. A lot of us are plagued by our past. We fall into the trap of defining our life not by what lies ahead of us, but by what we see in the rearview mirror. God comes along, forgives all your sin, cleanses your unrighteousness, remembers your sin no more. You know, God, God is like that little plastic toy I used to play with when I was a kid, the, the magic slate. You know, you'd write on it, lift up the plastic sheet, and what you wrote had disappeared. And, and now, they, I've got, somebody gave me this backstage, now they've got this high-tech version where, you know, you write on it and, and it's gone. Well, that's what God does with your sin. He erases it, he forgets it, it's gone. But you have an accuser. The devil, who loves to hover around and whisper in your ear and remind you of all the junk from your past. You know what you are. You know what you did. And he will try to rob you of your future by reminding you of your past. The devil constantly reminds us of that stuff. And a lot of us give up the race. We stop persevering because we're tripped up and entangled by our past. A guy went into a pet store. There was a parrot in the store, and the parrot said, Hey, come over here. I want to tell you something. So the guy walks over to the parrot and says, What do you want to tell me? The parrot says, You are the ugliest-looking person I have ever seen in my life. The guy says to the store owner, Your parrot just said I was the ugliest person he'd ever seen. The guy came over to the parrot, gave him a thump on the beak, put a bag over his head, put him in timeout. Parrots hate timeout. Month later, the guy comes back into the store, same parrot, sees the guy and says, Hey, come over here, I want to tell you something. Guy walks over there and says, What do you want to tell me? Parrot says, You know. <laughs> I think that's the devil's favorite phrase. You know. He didn't even have to say it. You know. What's he trying to do? He's trying to derail your race. He's trying to rob you of your dream. He's trying to get you to give up to, to, by reminding you of your bad beginning. But the Bible is full of people who had a bad beginning, but God used them greatly. Uh, the Apostle Paul had a bad beginning. I mean, he's the guy who gave the order to martyr Christians in the early church. He approved of and carried out the execution of believers. And one day Jesus had a, a, a miraculous encounter with the Apostle Paul and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul converted to Christianity. He goes on to write two-thirds of the New Testament, and instead of persecuting the church, he starts planting churches all over the Mediterranean. Could it be 
that God is trying to communicate to you and me that regardless of your yesterdays, you can still do great things for God. No matter what you've done, God can still use you. You just have to stop listening to the lies of the devil. In his writings, Paul's honest about, about his struggle with the past. In Philippians, he says, I'm, I'm trying to forget the things that are past and press on to the things that lie ahead. In 1 Timothy 1, look at this one. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. A blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. God changed Paul's resume. He changed his, his past. He wiped it off the slate. And God is telling you, Joseph is telling you, don't give up on your dream, even if you got off to a bad start. Number two, don't give up on your dream, even if those closest don't support you. Because some of you are getting weary, and it's an exhaustion that comes from rejection. Because we know what it's like to be rejected, excluded, sidelined, because somebody doesn't find something about you acceptable. And the rejection often comes from those who are closest to us. Jesus experienced this from his own family, from his brothers and sisters. I mean, his brothers and sisters you know, came one time and tried to take him home because they, they thought he was crazy. They apologized for him and tried to get him away from the crowd. Jesus is preaching in his hometown, and the people said, Isn't this the carpenter? Hey, Marvin, isn't that the guy that built your deck? We know him. His mother's Mary. Yeah, remember Mary? And his brother, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Jesus was rejected by those who were closest to him. Joseph was rejected by those who were closest to him as well. I mean, it's one thing, it's one thing to be teased by your brothers. It's another thing to be hated by your brothers. It's another thing to be sold into slavery by your brothers. I mean, this is human trafficking. And Joseph knows what it's like to be rejected by those closest to you. But he still did not give up on his dreams. When you've been cast into a cistern, the only way you can look is up. Don't give up. Third thing Joseph would tell us is don't give up on your dream even if your journey is full of surprises. I'm going to let you in. Part of my job as a pastor is just to kind of guide you through life, and so I just want to give you a little secret here. This one will save you some mileage on your life. You need to understand, when you get a dream, a vision, or a plan from God, it never goes from point A to point B in a straight line. It never does that. I mean, and most of you know that already. I mean, it zigs and zags, and sometimes you're headed in the exact opposite of the way you think you need to be headed. And Joseph would come along and say, don't give up, even if you feel like you're getting farther away than ever. I mean, look at the key events of Joseph's life. He's misunderstood by his family, sold into slavery to Potiphar, living in a strange country far from home. 
He's given favor in Potiphar's house. I mean, he's sold into slavery by his brothers. He's bought by a guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar realizes that Joseph has skills. He's got the blessing of God on his life. He has leadership ability. And so he puts this slave in charge of his whole house. And then Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph into an affair with her. And when Joseph resisted, he grabbed his coat and tried to force him. And he ran off and left the coat with her. And she used it as evidence to falsely accuse him. And so he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison. And then in prison... The warden recognizes, this guy's special. He's got God's blessing on him. He's got skills. He's got leadership ability. Puts him in charge, a prisoner in charge of the prison. And then Joseph meets Pharaoh's butler and chief cupbearer. They've been thrown into prison by Pharaoh. And they had dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams. And he tells the butler that he's going to be executed. And he tells the chief cupbearer that he's going to be restored to his position and given back his power. And so the cupbearer is so excited about this good news that he says to Joseph, is there anything I can do for you? And surprisingly, Joseph says, get me out of here. Okay. But then the cupbearer goes back to work, forgets all about Joseph. So he's forgotten by the chief cupbearer. He remains in prison for two more years. Then Pharaoh had a dream. Nobody could interpret it. The cupbearer remembers, hey, that guy Joseph in prison interpreted my dream. So they drag him out of prison, bring him before Pharaoh. He interprets the dream, and Pharaoh makes him second in command in Egypt. I mean, those are the key events in Joseph's life. I want to walk through those again, and I want you, we're going to participate together here. I want you to respond how you think Joseph felt in each one of those situations. And there's two responses that I want, want you to do. One of them is give up, say that. Give up. The other one is go on, say that. Go on. There you go. Give up or go on. Joseph is misunderstood by his family. He wanted to. Give up. Sold into slavery to Potiphar. He wanted to. Give up. Living in a strange country far from home. He wanted to. Give up. Pay attention. Given favor in Potiphar's house. He wanted to, go on. yeah, go on. Falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he wanted to, give up. thrown into prison, he wanted to, give up. he's put in charge of all the prisoners. He wants to, go on. By, forgotten by the chief cupbearer, he wanted to, give up. remained in prison two more years, he wanted to, give up. he interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he wants to, go on. he's made second in command in Egypt, he wants to. Okay? Here's what I want you to notice, that there are almost twice as many give up as go on situations in his life. And I just need to tell you that your life is probably going to follow the same track. There are going to be more times when you want to give up than when you want to go on. And the question is, what are you going to do in those give up moments? Because those moments are coming. And today, Joseph would come alongside of you and he'd say, don't you do it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep persevering. Keep running the race to the end. And you might ask, well, what is it that keeps you going when you're ready to quit? Even in the darkest moments of your life, you need to remember that God is with you. God is with you. Because here's what we know. Romans 8, 8, 28. Read the first three words of this with me. And we know... Well, do you? 
Do you know that? Because that truth is sometimes uh, hard for us to know. It's hard for us to believe. We, we think, I'm not sure this verse is even true. But if you're going to be a go-on kind of person, then you've got to get back to the we know place in your life because that's the power phrase in this verse. We know that in all things, good or bad, mountain or valley, pit, prison or palace, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that's every one of you. Every one of you has been called to fulfill God's purpose. You just got to find it and do it. Don't give up, even if life is full of surprises. Number four, Joseph would tell us, don't give up on the dream, even if it takes a long time to realize it. From age 17 to age 40, 23 years, over two decades. And now, Joseph is in Pharaoh's court. He's second in command. Because he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And he told him, your dream means that there's going to be seven years of plenty, there's going to be seven years of famine, and if you store up everything during the time of plenty, then when people are hungry, when nations are hungry, they will come to you for grain and you can rule the world. And sure enough, things worked out just the way Joseph said they would, and he became second in command. And that's the fun part of the story. But what do you do when you're a slave or you're a prisoner for 23 years? Habakkuk says it like this. God is speaking. He says, these things I plan won't happen right away. Instead, you get three painful words. Slowly, steadily, surely. The time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be, say it with me, patient. Be patient. Why is God so dead set on teaching us to be patient? I mean, if God's got something to do, why doesn't he just go ahead and do it? Why does he want us to be patient? Because the real work that God is doing is not in the things, in the events. The real work that God is doing is in us. And patience is a virtue that God wants to build in us. So be patient. Because the things God is doing in your life, they will not be overdue a single day. Don't give up. Don't give up. Even if it takes a long time. I think before... Joseph steps back in the stands. He'd have some final words of encouragement. First, he would say, focus on what happens in you, not to you. And most of us focus on what is happening to us, not what is happening in us. How do I know that? Because of how we pray. Because of how we pray. We pray, God, make this go away. Take this unemployment, take this illness, take this marriage problem, take it away. Make it stop. And God's saying, you know, all this good, bad stuff that's happening to you, it's happening to you to accomplish a work in your life. I'm using it to develop your character. And because I'm a good teacher, I'm not going to stop the lesson until you've learned it. And so if you want it to stop, learn the lesson. So the right prayer is probably not, God, make this stop. stop. The right prayer is, God, what do I need to learn from this 
Because when you learn it, then you can move on. It, it, we see it in the scripture. It's on the screen. This one's not in your notes. It says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. And I want you to notice that the joy is ahead. It's not now. So what do you have right now? Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Now think of most people. Most people. Are they more interested in building their faith or getting gold? How about you? Are you more interested in building your faith or getting gold? Because God is much more interested in building your faith. Because when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Circle the phrase praise and glory and honor. God is far more interested in praise and glory and honor than he is in gold. And that's what he's trying to build into your life. On your notes, it says, consider it pure joy. There's joy again, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And that's the same word that we have in Hebrews 12.1. The difficulties develop the perseverance that you need to finish the race. And the way we persevere is you focus on what's going on in you rather than focusing on what's going around you or to you. Because the stuff going on around you won't last. The stuff that's happening in you, that's eternal. It's eternal. Second thing Joseph would say is your response to offense determines your future. Because in Joseph's story, he has a chance to get even with his brothers. Uh, the, due to the famine, uh, the, his brothers showed up in Pharaoh's court trying to buy grain for their families. And Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. You know, they thought he was either dead or a slave somewhere. They didn't think he was second in command in Egypt. And it's been 23 years. I mean, his appearance has changed. He probably looks like an Egyptian all dressed up in whatever they're wearing. And so they didn't know who he was, but he, he knew who they were. And with one wave of his hand, he could have wiped them out. With one word, he could have made him a slave, put him in a pit, or put him in prison. He didn't do it. And a lot of us get disqualified from the race because of the offense of other people. It's not worth it because resentment will destroy your dream. So finally, Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers, and the first thing his brothers say is, don't kill us. And Joseph says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. And he forgave his brothers and he moved on to accomplish his dream. And some of us need to work through the process of forgiving someone, someone who truly hurt you. You know, if they didn't mean it, or if it didn't hurt, then you don't need to forgive them. But they meant it. And it hurt. And so the forgiveness is real. It's real. Don't let resentment rob you of your dream. Finally, 
Every dream has tough times. But remember, God is always with you. Why do we need to remember that God is always with us? Why do we need to remember that? Because it often doesn't feel like it. I mean, some of you right now, you'd say, God, God doesn't feel close. God feels a million miles away from me. So you're not going to feel this. You just have to remember this. You just have to believe and trust in this, that God is there. God is with you right now, even in the tough times. Psalm 139 says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. The highs and lows of life, the mountains and the valleys, the palaces and the pits, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You've got to remember God is always with you. Because if you do, you won't give up on the dream. Let's pray together. God, I just pray that, that you would release a spirit of encouragement here. That the strength of your presence will give each of us the go-on attitude that we need to persevere in our race. And if you're here today and, and you're just feeling like you're far from God, if you just feel like there is something between you and God, the Bible says that Jesus Christ died on the cross to destroy the barrier between us and God. And maybe you need to receive that work of Christ on the cross in your life today. You're just one sincere prayer away from that happening. And so in this moment, I would encourage you, just cry out in your heart and mind, say, God, save me. I receive what Jesus Christ did for me when he died on the cross. I want, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, to come live inside of me and make me brand new. God, help me to discover your purpose for my life. God, help me to see the dream that you have for me and help me to fulfill it. God, I seek you with all my heart. And maybe you're here today and you're a believer, but you're just in a dark, dry season. And maybe today you need a spirit of, of rededication in your life. You need God to release the spirit of encouragement in you. Would you just pray, God, give me courage. The courage to persevere toward the dream that you've given me. The dream of, of a fulfilling job and ministry. The dream of a good marriage. The dream of financial peace. The dream of raising godly kids. The dream of enjoying good health and vitality. The dream of finishing well with my parents. God, you're a dream giver and a dream fulfiller. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.